Well, I know you're nice and warm and toasty, but I hope you are awake and in tune as we are going to spend some time in God's Word together, continuing off where we left last week in this series talking about the redemption that God the Lord has provided for His people Israel and has also provided for us as His followers. And we're looking at the narrative of Exodus because it is an account and history of God keeping His promises of God directing His people and leading them to follow after Him as He delivers them from slavery, as He frees them from death, as He provides for them in the wilderness, as He fights for them through the mighty wonders of His his right arm and, and the parting of obstacles. We're going to spend time talking about this Redeemer Because when we are reminded who our Redeemer is, it helps us be reminded this is why He is worthy of worship. This is why I must listen. This is what it means to trust. This is what it means to obey. This is what it means to discover life that alone is found in Him. And when we last were meeting, we talked about how this Redeemer doesn't just save and then drop us. Um, He has a pattern for our whole purpose of life, for our our whole walking with Him. He doesn't just show up on certain days and then leave. He is with His people always and forever. He never leaves them or forsakes them. And this is good news for us, but this is also instructive to us because sometimes we think that the end goal is just getting somebody saved and kerplunked in the water, and then whatever happens between them and the Lord after is not a big deal. But we will see that after is the part of God using our life in a way that that is unimaginable left to our own. And that God saves us and disciplines us to make us His followers, His disciples, so that we can live fully for His purpose. And as He does this, He also leads us and instructs us in how that takes place. He leads us through all of our funky awkwardness, from our rude and ingracious and ungrateful attitudes at times. He leads us in the middle of chaotic moments, in the moments where our very life is threatened. He leads. And so we need to see that this Redeemer not only saves and provides, but He leads and has His leadership over His people, through His people, with His people, and shaping His people. And yes, I do realize that last week, the PowerPoint behind me said, shaving His people. So uh, that was a typo, and I apologize for that. Um, Once again, you can laugh at your pastor. It's all right. Um, He did win third place in a beauty pageant whenever he was in the third grade. So uh, it happens. Uh, But I'm going to ask you to stand with me and honor God in the reading of His Word. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 18, looking at 17 and 18. Uh, This is going to be on page 62 and 63 of the Pew Bibles that are there in front of you. It will also be on the screen. And as always, if you do not have a Bible that you can read and, and relate to, uh, that's our gift to you. We want to provide those, and we, we, uh, we don't keep those as relics or just for uh, looking holy. But this is what the Scripture said. I'm going to be reading from verse, um, verse uh, blah, 8. I know where I'm at. Chapter 18, verse 8 of the book of Exodus. It says this, Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that confronted them on the way, 
and how the Lord rescued them. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of Egypt, from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, What is this thing you were doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another, and I teach them God's statutes and laws. What you're doing isn't good. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what every son-in-law wants to hear from their father-in-law. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now, now listen to me. I will give you some advice, and, and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to Him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophets. Place them over people, over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. And also, all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Some versions say, or in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And they brought the people, they judged the people at all times. And they would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge them every minor case themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law go and he journeyed to his own land. Let's pray. Lord, today we've read an account from your word. It has been preserved for us. It was inspired by you, but it's preserved for us and, and preserved for your church so that we may know you. We may hear from you and see what you've done and, and learn what it means to trust you. So today, God, help us do that and to recognize where this comes from, the authority behind it, and help us recognize that this is not just written so that we would have some moment of education, but that, God, we would see this comes from your living and active word. It comes from you to change us, to change our very life. So help us not be dismissive. Help us not be disruptive. Help us to sense what you are saying 
to your people today and then help us listen, trust, and obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So it's our goal here every week, I tell you, to help people understand, have a greater understanding of God's Word. Not to treat it like a textbook or an owner's manual, because no one, I think, I don't know of very many, there may be those one or two exceptions to the rule, picks up an owner's manual or, or textbook, and they're like, oh, I cannot wait to read this. I have a few theologian geek friends that I'm like that with, but most of the time we're kind of like, all right, it's going to be an interesting read, but it's not something we're like just, just, just geeking out over. Um, but the Bible is not that. It is instructive, and it does have law, but it's not just a series of codes or, or, or do's and do nots. It is a book that is inspired by God and, and given to you and I as a gift. That the reason we have the Word of God is because we have the God of the Word and His love towards His people. And today as we look at this, we want to see what it says and, 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 and look at it for yourself and, and what it means, why was it given in this time and place, what was going on then. And then see how it applies to us, the significance it can even have today, and ask why will we trust and follow it, what we will do. Now here we see these books, these first five books of the Bible, um, they are attributed to Moses as the author, the one that penned it as God being the authority and the inspiration behind it. But Moses, he, he pens these, these books to the people of Israel to recount their deliverance, to recount God's work through their ancestors, from the beginning, and, and how they've gotten to the place they are, and, and to instruct them in the way they're about to go. And so the first five books tell us these things and helps establish an, a, a written account of this is who God really is, and, and this is what He's done for us, and this is how He's spoken to His people, and why that is so incredibly special that God would save a life such as ours. Now here when we get to the middle of the book of Exodus, uh, kind of the middle, um, we're about to see a transition. When you get to Exodus chapter 19 and following is the moment that they reach Mount Sinai, the place that God promised that they were going to get. It's the moment where all of a sudden there's God's spoken word and now there's God's provision of His written word. All of a sudden things are going to be, God is going to write things down for His people for the first time. They're going to receive a, a unique type of instruction. The presence of God is not going to leave them, but there's going to be a transition. And this whole beginning part, chapters 1 through 18, has been this incredible transition. You go from a people in chapter 1 who the Bible is telling us about this 400 years between Genesis chapter 50 and Exodus chapter 1. 400 years to where the history changed, the people changed, they multiplied, a new leadership came, they were endangered, they were being put to death, they were enslaved. And then after that, in chapter 2, you see the preservation of this child, Moses. And not only the preservation of him as an infant, but the preservation of him as a fugitive on the run, a convict, and how God provides for him. And then you see the bringing back of Moses as this leader that God chose to lead his people out of slavery. And you see the hand of God at work through the, the chapters leading up to chapter 12. Him demonstrating his power before the Egyptians, before Pharaoh, saying that he is higher and greater than any other supposed deity that's out there. In Exodus chapter 15, 14, you see the exodus of the people out of, of Egypt. And you see them crossing the Red Sea, leaving that past life behind. But then you see what happens. In the middle of this transition, 
Adjustment is difficult. We talked about how the people began complaining. Once again, what do we do now? We've, we've never been free. And sometimes whenever you're free, you kind of don't know what to do with that. You don't know how to handle that. And they began not with, with, with their confusion, grumbling, complaining, and yet God showed His grace. We then talked about how God helped the people when they were facing their first battle against the people of Amalek. The Amalekites who attacked them and ambushed them, God shows His leadership over them to show their, His protection and to show how He raises up people to pray for them and how He develops people to supervise not only Moses from the hilltop, but, but Joshua in the battle. We saw how Moses was supported by other leaders. Aaron, who would go on to become the high priest, the elder brother of Moses, who we hear much about, and then her, who we hear very little about, and yet he was there, and they're both sharing the load together, how God invites cooperation. Those are in your notes that you have in your bulletin or if you're following on the app. But this is where we see the Redeemer's leadership. He, his leadership is not just about structure. It does provide that. But His leadership is something that, that goes before us and says, I'm not leaving you to the chaos of the world or to the enemy. I'm not even leaving you to your own demise. Because we all battle with the struggle of flesh. We need God to be with us even individually. Not to mention when it comes to the surroundings of the world or the sinistry of the enemy. We need God. And His leadership is there over and with and through His people shaping us. And the Bible tells us we have a greater advocate. The Bible also tells us that God not only raises up people to pray for us, but He Himself is interceding for us, the Holy Spirit. We need to know that God is a leader who is even in the middle of prayer. That God Himself, that is mind-blowing to me, that God Himself prays for His people. But Romans chapter 8 tells us that is the case. Not only does God raise up people to see that dependence in prayer and that activity as necessary, but God Himself does it. We see God developing His cooperation. And what it means to put people that have different statuses, different stories in this world, but according to Him, they are all His beloved children and drawing them into His work. And we see how God continues raising up leaders to serve in His way for His task and His purpose. And I love this, the narrative of Moses on the hilltop praying with his hands up and, and he's not only looking up to God, but he's surveying the battle and he's a part of it just as much as Joshua is in the battle itself. That is, this is not the older leader who says, hey, I'm just going to go pray, but I'm not going to watch or partake. No, he's in the active role as well. And this is the people of Israel under their, their general Joshua looking back and seeing, I see everyone involved leading us and they're in the fight. They were in the fray. But what else does God's leadership bring us to? What else does God's leadership lead us toward? Well, God never does something in our life just to say, hey, just want to know you're special. Um, you probably shouldn't ever tell anybody about this. Now you may say, well, what about Jesus? What about Jesus who would go and heal people and then tell them not to say anything? Or, or when people said something to Jesus and then, and then he says, don't tell anybody this. Jesus knew the time. And he already knew what the people were going to do. But whenever he said that, he is not trying to establish some kind of celebrityism type of faith. Where just go to Jesus, and if you just submit your down payments of, of 1999 for three years, then Jesus will automatically be ob obligated to fulfill all your needs. That is not Jesus. Jesus is not an infomercial. 
He's not that kind of celebrity king. He is the king above all kings and his fame is renowned. No doubt about it. But that was not what Jesus was working towards. But God does these works in our lives so that just as the words of Jesus may be fulfilled, that they will see our good works, they will see what God does, and then they will glorify Him who is in heaven. That they will begin looking back to the Lord. We see Moses doing this with his father-in-law. His father-in-law who was considered the high priest of Midian. These were, two, these were also descendants of Abraham. Uh, they were not from Abraham's wife, Sarah. Uh, that came through the promise of Isaac. They were through uh, Abraham's other relationships. I'll just leave it at that. Once again, Abraham is not a perfect person. But uh, the people of Midian had remembered and carried on some of the traditions that they saw in their ancestor, Abraham. And Jethro is this priest who represents the God Most High. He knows just enough of God to recognize He is holy and to carry on the honor of worshiping Him. But here, as Moses recounts, he comes to this sincere, deep-held conviction. By the declaration of Moses recounting how God had saved them, provided for them, rescued them, walked with them, never left them, he says, I now know, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He knew about these other worshipped deities, these other worshipped idols. But he says, I know that the Lord is greater than all of them. There is no doubt in my mind. Not because he's just a God of myth, but because he's a God of action and presence among his people. That he works mightily as a redeemer. Why do we need to know that? Never let a moment where God works out something for his good and our good and his glory. Let, never let that moment go to waste. Now, I don't use it for bragging. Don't use it for the pat on my back and say, oh, look how special I am. But turn it back and say, wow, God really loves his people. God really loves his people. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me as a living and active God who walks with me each day and never leaves me or forsakes me. I can go back and I can see all the ways. Don't let them forget, be forgotten. That's why we had that little ditty, that little song, count your blessings, name them one by one. It's a cutesy song, but it does have some theological point to it. Don't forget what God has done and is still doing. And then never let that be a moment of waste where we say, well, I'm just going to keep that to myself. No, bring it to others so they can come to that recognition just like Jethro. Especially those close to you. They, Moses and Jethro already had an established relationship. He was his father-in-law. Never let that be a waste of moments. Let me tell you about what God has done. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not doing it to brag. I'm not trying to point and say what, a, what an awesome person I am. I am not worthy. It is a total act of God's grace. Help them see the grace-giving, gospel-declaring glory of God. Next, never let it be a moment that, that moves you away from worship. If you start using these moments of God providing the benefits in your life as a um, substitute for your activity of worship and sacrifice, you've got it all wrong. Let me put that uh, bluntly again. If you ever use the benefits and the blessings that God has displayed and said, I've put this in your life, and you say, well, this happened this week, so I guess I don't, I'm excused from any other act of worship, you've, you've got it wrong. Moses and Jethro 
and Aaron and the elders of Israel. They, they get it right here because they recognize what God has done. And now they're at a place of peace. The, the battle is over. The fray is done. The, the recounting of his work has happened. The only acceptable thing to do after that is to honor him. To return the worship and the praise and the blessing back to him. To not just be caught up and be like, all right, that's good for the week. Say, no, I must be about exalting God in a way that honors Him. And, and the only way they had at this moment was the building of an altar and the sacrificing of an animal. That's all they had at this moment. The law had not yet been given. The, everything that you're going to be seeing after Exodus chapter 20 of God giving His instruction about what it means to be a people, they didn't have that yet. They just had the pattern that was set before them by their ancestors that God is holy he is worthy of worship. That worship should be costly. It should not be something I take lightly. It's going to take death of a living thing. But it's not the death of a living human. It's an innocent animal. But this is how God shows He is the giver and preserver of life and how He's instructed His people to worship that's uniquely His. We need to remember that God gives us His way of worship. But what else does this leadership look like? God's leadership over His people, the Redeemer showing His leadership over and through and with and shaping His people. Well, it also comes to this point of correction. You may say this looks like a little managerial discussion about you know how should we organize and, and should we develop this entity to help guard against this entity or whatever. I, I see it just as a, a beautiful act of God's grace in, in His people. Because what God is saying is, one, I have not left you alone. Not only from him, but amongst other believers, other people he has redeemed. God has never intended for us to be alone. Secondly, God has never intended for us to be ruled by one. God has never left us to be ruled by a dictator of one leadership. He has to do it all, say it all, be it all. That's not what God's intention was. And I'm thankful for that. That God began saying there would be one lead authority. But there would be other leaders to play the part People that would lead thousands had shown themselves to be a leader of great capacity. And some that would lead ten. It's not that they don't have great capacity. It's just they work better in a small group amongst a few to help them. They know that group. And by the way, this is also a lesson. No household and community of faith is too big. It just takes the right organization from the Lord. Do you get that? No household or community of faith is too big. It just takes the right direction and organization and leadership from the Lord. This is a people of at least 600,000 men alone. Ladies, you're probably shaking your head. Wow, I wonder if anything's getting done. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. That's not a man bash. I understand. We get a lot of things done. Many times we just keep our mouths shut about it. Um, that's, that's, I'm, I'm digging myself a deeper hole. I need to stop. I need to stop. We need to study the Bible. And that's where we need to be. But here we go into correction. See, I need some correction. So let's look and see where we can all be corrected here. Um, this is where Jethro sits there and watches what's going on. First of all, here's the thing about correction. It takes actual observance. It takes actual observation. Uh, we don't need some back row people that are not actually viewing the game. We don't need some couch quarterbacks and coaches saying, I'm not really paying attention. We need people that are invested in saying, I'm going to be here and watch and be in attuned and attention to what's going on. And this is what 
Jethro is doing. He's watching Moses' ministry, this activity of people coming. He's seeing the what is taking place. He's seeing why, because they have problems and they need help. And Moses seems to be the only person. He watches Moses' method. They come to him all day from morning to evening. He watches Moses' motive. He has a heart to lead the people and he wants them to know the Lord. And that's really fast. I just realized I said that that way. But here's the thing. Jethro sees it. He's watching and he's attentive and observant of the ministry of Moses, the method and the motive. And he comes to this conclusion. This is not good. This is this can't be good. And, and maybe it's good today, but it's not sustainable. It's not something that we should keep on as an ongoing pattern. And so in that observation, we see his kindness. We don't see... Jethro, the father-in-law, butting in, if you will. We see him showing kindness to his son-in-law and his kindness and his, his, his hope for this people that God has rescued. And he moves from observation to careful consultation. He gives us a model and he goes, I just want you to know, I, I don't think this is good. It, it, it may be okay. It might be mediocre, but it ain't good. And it certainly ain't great. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. It's not good for an ongoing model. And here's why it's not good. Because it's going to wear you out. You're going to wear yourselves out. Not only you as a person, because it's too much for you. That's what verse 18 tells us. But it's not able to do this by yourself. It's too great a work. You're going to wear these people out. The people that showed up at morning, but they happened to be in line number 1087 versus number one. That person had to wait till evening to even get to talk to you. And by the time they got there, they're probably madder than they began. What's going to happen? Something needs to happen. And so, in this consultation about what's going on here, we see something that, that Jethro is telling Moses. This is not going to be a model like Egypt. This is not going to be a model like Egypt. You're not Pharaoh, Moses. And I don't think Moses ever intended to be. But the leadership that he had seen was either in small tribal people or in the large nation of Egypt. And the large nation of Egypt had millions of people, so having over a million people here, 600,000 men, so add the women and the children, that's a lot. This must be the only model that's available. But that's not what he says. And so he's telling him, as this work has increased, the load must be shifted. It, it's got to happen. And he says, sometimes the best way to be efficient is not what you accomplish, but it's how you relinquish that leadership to someone else. How you cultivate them. The Bible tells us that we need consultation, by the way. We need to listen. It's good for us. Even, even though sometimes it's painful, when it makes us look at ourselves and think, this is not good. I'm going to wear myself out. I am not able to handle it. Even though we realize that at times, sometimes somebody's speaking else, it helps for us to listen. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And we are to bear another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
We're told to listen to our leaders that, and to help support them and let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That there's a good back and forth with consultation. We're meant to have, have seize every opportunity to do good, especially to those who are the household of faith. And what does this mean for us? Listening to this correction, this observation and consultation. It means if there's ever going to be a change in the way things work, there's first to be got to be a change in the way things are thought. That's where Jethro points out first. He didn't say, all right, do this, do this, do this. He says, no, I want to tell you something that's not good. You've got to change your way of thinking first before you fix the problem. And you've got to trust in the Lord in the middle of it. He says, if the Lord directs us, this is not God, this is not Jethro saying, I'm, I've got this whole outside of the Lord ministry. He says, no, I, I think I've got this. But if the Lord directs, if the Lord gives us the guidance, let's go with this. Do you think this might work? And it is. It does. So here's the stipulation. After the careful observation and the, the careful uh, consultation, we see the stipulations. This is the only way this consultation will ever work. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. It begins with going to the Lord. It, it, is this the direction we should go? Because if you're not following His direction, you're going against it. And if you're going against it, woe is me. That's a terrible path. It's a terrible choice, especially for the one that rescued you, the, for the one that redeems you, for the one that says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. Why don't we say, you know what, I think I'll go a different direction. Pray. Learn. Verse 20 when we see what he's saying, he says, instruct them about the, the statutes and laws and, and teach them the way to live and what they must do. Teach them what you already know of God. And as they would learn in Exodus chapter 20 when the Ten Commandments is given and all the other law, you're going to teach them that too. It's going to take a process of learning. You have to pray and then you're going to have to help people learn. And you're going to have to learn. And not only help people learn as the people, but then select. Select able-bodied people. People that, that meet these qualifications. Not just any uh, uh, old Joe. Not the, the fact that old Joe is a bad guy. But you've got to select the right leadership. Able men. God-fearing. Trustworthy. And hating dishonest prophets. These are the type of leaderships that you have to have. You've got to select them. Now, the people of Israel already had an elder system. Moses met with the elders before. People that were entrusted to lead. They, Moses even had dinner and sacrificed the offering with the elders of Israel before this conversation took place. It was a way that they had lived for so long. God's Word tells us, according to Jethro, build on that. But build on it with the right people. Select these people. We see this carried on in, in the church today. We see it that happened in, in the book of Acts, chapter 6. There was a problem among the people. There, the, the church began to amass so many, and the, the need was so great that these people who were going without food, they, they, they needed food to sustain their life. Some people were being overlooked. And this was a pretty big need. It wasn't like, oh, I, 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 they can't work or they need to work to get food. It was widows who had basically been disowned by their families because they had chosen to follow Christ. And some of the widows were being overlooked and some weren't. And so the church had to select men full of faith 
followers of Christ to be these servers, these servants to lead and facilitate this. While the other leaders were there instructing people in the way of the Word. This has been a pattern God has set, but it, it, it doesn't come just, just a God just tossed it out there and see who, who snaps at it. Be careful. And seek out these leaders. But you also must regulate them. You must show them the way they're to lead. They're to have this mentality when you select them, but then place them over the people as commanders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. But you put them in the right place, the right area for them to serve. And then you lead. You lead, showing them the principles of leadership, showing them the promises of leadership, that they can judge and that you're entrusting them to judge. You're entrusting them to lead. You're not saying, hey, I'm just going to check up on you. I'm going to micromanage you the whole way. I want to just see and, and, and be there whenever you need help. But give them the ability and show them the promise that, they, that what they're doing is good. These are the stipulations of this correction. But stipulations alone don't set the tone. We can have all kinds of structures say, this is the policy, but if it doesn't lead to reorienting our view and our work and then moving us to a transition of something being different, they're just policy. They're just stipulations. They're just an observation and a consultation. They're not actually changing what needs to be changed. Jethro's suggestion is this. If you reorient yourself, if you have this new orientation, by the way, any of you ever done orientation before? Maybe for a new job or for, for college? Basically, it's like we recognize you've never been here before. You've never done this before. We're going to put some people in place to help you walk through and see this new way of doing things. This new way of thinking so that you can follow in the right direction. So that you don't keep looking aimless or walking or doing the things you're used to doing. No, we want to orient you to what's ahead. Jethro says, if the Lord is with you in this, this is going to be good for your health, the health of your people. It's going to be easier for you. It's going to bring about better harmony because the people will actually go home satisfied or in peace. There will be a better working together. So in other words, it's going to be strength for Moses. It's going to be serenity for the people. Once again, it's going to take reorienting. And God's leadership is over this. What happens? Verses 24 and following. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Well, what do you mean he did everything he said? Well, he transitioned and did it. That means he went to the Lord and prayed about it. Because that's what he said. Jethro said, let's go to the Lord and pray. And if this is God's will, let's do this. And then he selected the men. He, he taught the people. He, he regulated the leadership. He led. And so there was a new development. And they judged the people at all times. And they would bring the hard cases to Moses. But they would judge every other minor case themselves. There was a transition. And all of it because... The leadership of the Lord doesn't just pluck us up and save us and then drop us and leave us. His leadership is over and with and through His people protecting us and being with us and lifting us up in His own prayer and bringing us along to pray and trust Him and cooperating together no matter where the story is and helping us pass on leadership. Not just forfeiting our own, we're in it till God calls us home, guys. That's who we're to be. 
But then in that supervision, also leading to the fact that our whole goal is to declare the Gospel, that we never forget declaring who He is. And we never forget worshiping Him. And we're never forgetting that we're to be shaped by Him, even if that means correcting where we stand. Even if that means someone observing what's going on and then consulting us and helping us have a new way of thinking and leading us to this way of transition. But here's some things I've looked at, and I just want to kind of take a note at the very end. Some elements that we see here in the story that are not written in the story, but they're there still. Once again, in the middle of the story is the manifestation of God. Remember I told you that whenever the people left Egypt and they were walking out, that God manifested His ongoing, never-stopping presence visibly through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So no matter what, no matter what the issue was going on, there is God's manifestation of His presence visible and tangible with His people. And so you can understand that whenever... Jethro is giving this instruction and said, if God is leading, he's seeing the very seriousness of God. I can only imagine what Jethro looked at whenever he was coming to bring his, his daughter and, and Moses' children and bringing them back to Moses. And all of a sudden, there's this, whoa. And what it brings us to remember is that even in the middle of all this correction, God is never left out of the equation. God is the giver of the equation. It's His manifestation that's there. Secondly, a couple of things to remember is the foundation that God continually placed, his pe- placed before His people the need to be prepared to receive and learn His way, His Word. And the people are on this march, on this exodus to the place of Sinai, all so that they could receive the foundational teaching and learning and education of The Word. You see God's manifestation. You see His foundation. He never forgets to speak and lead. We should never take His Word for granted for for the redemption and the grace that it is. Lastly, we see redemption. Once again, the, the, the Gospel message is one that rescues our souls, but it also leads our lives. It leads our lives. And And of course this is a redemption message, the whole series titled Redemption, but we never forget that God is a God who rescues. But He rescues in His way. And that's why we should never think little of those patterns. For the people of Israel, the Exodus meant everything. It meant everything. When you think of the Jewish festivals, especially when you think of Passover, it points back to this great, Redemption and rescue to say that we are people chosen and specially designed by God to be His representatives to the nations. They never ever let that go. It still holds dear to them. But much more so when we see the completion. It's not that that rescue was wrong. It's just insufficient. The total sufficiency came on the cross. So may the cross be everything to us. May it never be something we subtly set aside as unimportant. Because everything that God does in and through our lives, His leadership, it points back to the work of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. It's a redemption message. And lastly, I see not only God's manifestation and foundation and redemption, I see His transformation. 
that he's taking a people that were former slaves and teaching them what it means to be free. He's teaching, taking a people that were formerly surrounded by all kinds of false gods, all kinds of evil and sinister acts, and he's showing them what it means to be holy and set apart. And what it means to live by a new story. That just because they came from somewhere is not the story they keep with them their whole life. That God is offering something new as they listen, trust, and follow his leadership that is over them, through them, with them, and shaping them. What can we do as we move forward? Well, a couple notes for us. Be a person that's be able to teach, but also a person that's able to listen to counsel. Secondly, magnify and point to what's best for us as God leads us. Continue seeking out what God is saying, what is best for us. Help people learn what it means to to move from just expending energy to investment in, in God's kingdom work. We can go about looking busy and do a very good job about that. But there's a difference in looking busy and investing in what God has told us to invest in. We need to be people that present are presented with a way to face the scariest word. Here's one of the scariest words you could ever face is alone. That is the scariest word ever. And God is saying, I want to teach you something. I want to just help you face the scariest word ever. Because with me, you are not alone. And with my people that I've redeemed and surrounded you with, (laughs) please do not choose to be alone. Fifth, let us be taught how to balance between quality and quantity. That there is a difference in the two. Just because there was a mass of people doesn't mean it was good. And just because you have a small amount of people and not growing towards something big does not mean your quality either. We need to have that balance. And we need to be people that are moved from merely doing and maintaining church work to maximizing the ministry that God has called us to to do the work of the church, not just church work. God has given us a way to do that, but we've got to follow and yield to his leadership that he still promises is over, through, with, and continues to shape his people. Let's give him the glory for that. Lord Jesus, today, as we come to this moment of response, help us to be people that know what it means to yield. Yielding to who you are, to what you've said, to what you've done, to your way. And God, I pray that this message today, it it does not sink into people as some kind of self-help model. It would be easy to take some of these points and, and to make them that, to try to move ourselves and motivate ourselves and pull ourselves up our own bootstraps. But God, that is utterly impossible. It might be something that's mediocrely done, but it is not good for us. And it is not great and glorious to your name. What is beautiful what is amazing is the work that you do to lead us in these areas that you observe us you see when we sit and we rise you consult us by speaking your word you lay out before us stipulations about what it means to to follow your commands you regulate us and teach us what and where we're to be god you reorient us you transition us so god have your way And may we yield to you. Thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible. And today I pray that if someone here does not have peace with you through him, that today would be the day they see that you are 
for the demons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.